And, you know, how do we know? How do we know that it's worth it? How do we know that it's worth it to fight the fight, to center our life on Christ? Um, how, do you, how do you know it's worth it to give all our lives for Christ's glory? Yeah, you ever wondered that? Like, how do you know it's worth it? Maybe I can say it the opposite way. Um, how do I know that it's not worth it to just live for myself? <laughs> to just go be me. To do You do you. You know, as Nike says, just do it. How do, how, do I, how do I know that? Is, is there anything that's crystal clear that tells me that there is an eternity that's certain? Is there anything that assures me that God really does get all the glory? Is there anything crystal clear that tells me there is a God who is indeed going to gather a people of his own to himself. Is there anything that does that? Is there anything that blows the winds in my sails like that? Well, the answer to the writer of Hebrews is a resounding yes. Absolutely. And today, he's going to do that once again as we journey through Hebrews. Hey, if you're a guest, as Tyler said, man, we're so glad you're here. We're so glad you're here. Um, if you're a regular, you've been in the book of Hebrews now for nine weeks, and we're not going to stop today. So guest and regular alike, we'll be back in Hebrews once again. What a fitting Easter message, and I think the writer's going to proclaim that to us, that there is something that keeps us going. What I mean by that is there's, there's always things in life that keep us going. I mean, if, you're, if your boss tomorrow said, hey, I'm not going to pay you. Are you going to work tomorrow? Are you going to show up? No, negative. <laughs> You're not. That's the answer. You don't have to lie in church. You're not going. Okay. Um, well, that's what keeps you going. That's that. That's that. That check keeps you going. If Wingstop tomorrow says we're not going to serve wings anymore, are you going? Maybe for the ranch. Maybe <laughs> it's some good ranch. There's always something that drives us, and that's what the writer of Hebrews is going to do today. So, I remind us where we were in the text last week, just on the screen real fast. He said, I desire each of you to show earnest, to have full assurance of hope. Don't be sluggish, be imitators. Persevere, inherit the promises. Here's another way to see it. Pop it up, look. Don't have a fickle faith. Have full and confident, vibrant and active, faithful and patient. Accomplish the goal. That's kind of the words, the action words he gave us. There is something that drives us to the end. Yes, yes, yes. And so we'll pick back up this week in, again, the perfect Easter text that will show us that what ultimately gives us assurance is God's promises and he proved it through the resurrection of Christ. I'm going to pray. Jesus, thank you for just the, the, the gathered body. Thank you for church family. <laughs> thank you for the first service and now for the second service. And what spans both of those is your text and, and your supremacy. So as we jump right back into the book of Hebrews... God, I know for people who've been journeying with us for nine weeks, it's going to be easy. It's going to be easy to jump right back in and go, okay, yeah, I know exactly where we're at. And, and for those who haven't, it, God, I pray that you will be gracious 
to make the context make sense quickly for them. But more importantly, that we'll all walk away just going, wow. (laughs) We have a God who is incredible. A resurrected Jesus who is stunning. And then a Holy Spirit who keeps on driving us on. Be the anchor to our souls today that holds us steady until all of the waves of life ultimately turn to calm. In Jesus' precious name, I pray before you sit. Here's the text for today. When God made a promise to Abraham, since he had no one greater by whom to swear, he swore by himself, saying, Surely I'll bless you and I will multiply you. And thus Abraham, having patiently waited, obtained the promise. For people swear by something greater than themselves, and in all their disputes an oath is final for confirmation. So when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise the unchangeable character of His purpose, He guaranteed it with an oath. So that by two unchangeable things in which it's impossible for God to lie we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. That is that theme y'all have heard for nine weeks. Keep going. It's worth it. We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf having become a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. The Word of God for the people of God. Amen. Be seated. Well, you've already been welcomed, and and I want to give you guys a gift. My gift to you is the shortest message of all year long. You're welcome. I know, you're ready to get home and eat the ham. And I do. I hope you eat more ham. I I took extra blood pressure medicine this morning in preparation for the sodium that I'm about to put in my body. Deviled eggs. I plan, and I understand that eggs are expensive these days, um, but I gave the in-laws an extra $1,000 for eggs (laughs) so, so that we could have an adequate supply of deviled ones. Um, or as I was rebuked a couple of years ago, angel eggs. Angel eggs, Miss Kay. That's right. <laughs> yeah, so, uh, I, I, but we really do. Today will be the shortest message of the year. We always do that on purpose. You know, I, I know it's fearful. Sometimes you come to Easter and you're like, oh, the preachers, it's Easter. I'm going to get settled in because it's not us. We do it short on purpose. We cut it short on Easter on purpose. It will be the shortest message of the year. That is my gift again. I don't have an egg to give it to you in. But there you go. So um, I, I, everything that I said just kind of set it up. The, the resurrected Christ, that is what keeps us going. It is the paycheck. It is the wings. It is, that's what drives it. That's, for faith, the resurrected Christ is everything. If Christ be not raised, our faith, the writer um, says, Paul says, is in vain. Our faith is in vain if the resurrection did not occur. It is everything. It's what we hinge. It's our Super Bowl moment. It, it is what we hinge life on. Um, so with that, 
How can we be assured? Has God given us anything that assures us of this? And I would say in the text, there's four things. All right, you ready? If you're a note taker, get ready. They'll be on the screen, but it's going to be quick. Uh, number one, we are assured of this eternal faith, of this God who's real, this God who's gathering a people to Himself. We're assured of all these things, number one, because God has given us an incomparable oath. Did you catch the oath? For when God made a promise to Abraham, since he had no one greater by whom to swear, he swore by him, by himself. He swore by himself saying, I will do this. I will give you this promise. He swore, I think it was Kanye, the great theologian Kanye West, um, maybe, who recently has said this. Um, I think the name of the song was called On God. Do I have that right? Anybody will admit that you're a Kanye fan? I think I have that right. But it's the whole point of the whole thing is there's nothing higher to swear by. Um, so I swear on God. Now, I would say we should not do that, okay? Let's be clear. I do think that's heresy. Let's don't swear on God. But nonetheless, there is nothing higher to swear by. And God says, I promise you these things, and you can rest so sure of these things, I promise on myself because there's nothing higher to swear by. Uh, it's it's kind of like when you're growing up. I, I, I remember everybody trying to do the backwards gainer off the diving board you, where you'd run, bounce on the diving board, and then spring backwards. You guys know what I'm talking about? We all tried it, and there's like three people in here who actually accomplished it, and then the rest of us lied about it. We were like, yeah, I did it. I, I remember in elementary school a kid coming in going, I did a gainer this weekend. Um, and, and it was fad of the day to say, do you swear on your mama's grave? <laughs> right? Did y'all ever do that? You swear on your mama's grave. And that's the highest thing we could think of. And God says, listen, you can be so assured that I swear on myself. That gives us wind that keeps our sails of faith blowing. Know that the Father is willing to put His, His own name on the line for us to be sure of the promises to come. And then number two, we're assured because God has given us an inexhaustible covenant of grace. He said, I have one purpose. My one purpose, the text says, is sure. Let's read it. He swore by himself saying, surely I will bless you and multiply you. There is this covenant of grace that I am gathering a people from Genesis to Revelation... I am gathering a people to myself. That is my purpose. That is my covenant of grace. Not because you are good enough to come to me, but because I am gracious and holy enough to come to you. He says, because of this, thus Abraham, having patiently waited, he obtained that promise. For people swear by something greater than themselves, and all their disputes and oath is final for confirmation. So when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise, here it is, the unchangeable character of His purpose, His purpose to gather a people, to redeem a people by grace, He guaranteed it with an oath. And then number three. We're assured not only because of this incomparable oath on God, this inexhaustible covenant of grace from beginning to end that's linear, but we're assured because of God's impossible act. Verse 18. So that by two unchangeable things, this covenant of grace that is His purpose, this personal oath on Himself, in which it is impossible for God to lie. He ceases to be God the moment that He lies. This blows wind in our sails. 
if, if I promise you something, there's a good chance that it's a lie. How do you know? Because I'm a preacher. Now, that's, that's, that's what people always say. Preachers are always lying, you know, whatever. It, so take that for face value. I jest with you. But as humans, we're prone to stretch the truth. Prone, prone to whitewash a lie, whatever. God does not. He ceases to be God the moment He lies. This blows wind in our sails. I will do this, bless you, multiply you, keep you, draw you to myself. If you're a believer, the fact that God cannot lie should rise up in your soul and go, man, that's good stuff. And then... We're certain because of this that there is no opposite day with God. There is no, I've got my fingers crossed. And then number four, we're assured because of God's immovable anchor in the person of Jesus Christ. That blows wind in our sails. Not only has He given us an oath on Himself, this purpose, this covenant of grace, this impossible act that He's not able to lie... But He's given us His Son in flesh that become an immovable anchor to our soul. Where do you see that? Verse 19. We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul. That's where it comes from. A hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf having become a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Let's look at those things real fast and then we'll be done. Number one, first, this anchor of the soul. Why does this give us encouragement? Why does this give us hope? Get the imagery that he's giving here. I've assured you so much of my love for you that through the person and work of Christ, I have tethered myself to you. We all know what an anchor is, right? You've got a boat, and the boat drifts along in the sea, and then you've got the anchor that goes down, and the anchor hooks onto something to hold it steady. Now, the boat, without the anchor, the waves will just crash that sucker all over the place. The boat in and of itself has not the ability to steady itself. It, it doesn't have the ability to, to hold firm during the storm. But the anchor goes down and does what the boat cannot do for itself. It hooks in. It holds it steady. That's the beauty, as he says, in Christ. Christ has become that for us because we were not strong enough and were not strong enough to hold on to Him. He came as an anchor for the believer to hook in and hold on to us because we don't have the power to hold on to Him. Isn't that incredible? He's the one that steadies us on earth and assures us of the finality to come and our preservation through His anchoring. And not only does He anchor us, but He anchors what? He anchors His heart to our heart and becomes the steadfast hope of the soul. And not only that, second, as an anchor, He becomes our hope Not just a hope that's wishful thinking, but a hope that does what? What does it say? It walks. It's a moving hope. It's a walking hope that enters in. And so thirdly, he entered into where? The inner place behind the curtain. Now why is this beautiful? This is beautiful because 
the priest would take the pigeon, they would take the dove, they would take the bull, the goat, the ram, the whatever, and they would cut it, and they would literally split that bad boy right open. And a blood oath, they would take part of it, put it over here, and part of it, put it over here. And so they would take all these... It's just a bloody mess. If, if you've never read the Bible for yourself, and, and you come into church like this, and you go, oh, it's clean and whatever... The temple was a bloody mess. It was a butcher shop. And so there was blood here, blood here, blood pieces, and you would walk through the cut pieces saying, if I don't fulfill what I promise in an oath, then may I be like these cut pieces of animal. Right? And so that was the sacrifice. And then they would take the blood and take it to the inner place and then pour it out. And all of those was temporary sacrifices. Now, how do we know that they were temporary? Because they had to do it, what? Over and over and over and over again. They had to keep cutting pieces. They had to keep pouring blood. They had to keep doing things. Why? Because these, there was never a half of a, a bull and a half of a bull that after the sacrifice came back together and rose back to life. Because the whole point was there is a curse of death because of our sin. There's a curse of death. And at some point, something has to bring that back to life to conquer that. So they would go in and offer it over and over and over and over. And here's why Christ is different. Because Christ busts on the scene as an immovable anchor. And he says, hey, these doves ain't going to get it. I know Prince wrote a song about them or we'll, we'll, we'll write a song about them. But it does nothing. I'll walk in. And you can cut me. And you can pierce me. And you can crown me with your thorns. And you can take my blood. And I will go behind the curtain. But my sacrifice is different. Why? Day one. That's just blood. Day two. Still just blood. Day three, there's a rumbling. <laughs> Why is this grave shaking? Why is this stone rolling? Because up from the grave he arises and it's different. It is now finished. No more sacrifices. I've risen, I've conquered death, I've made it sure, I've made the right way, I have covered you. That's why he's different. That is an anchor that can be embedded in your soul, giving you life both now and forevermore. That's why the resurrection matters. So again, man, I'm glad you're here and you do look sharp. There's more pastel in this room than there has ever been at Safe Haven with the colors and all that kind of stuff. I mean, we're dressed up. Like, and I know some of you may be guessing, you're like, you're not very dressed up, man. You got on jeans. Trust me, I'm dressed up. <laughs> I am, today is a dressed up day. I even popped a tie. You know what? This is like for real, whatever. That's great. But none of that compares to the work of Christ on our behalf. That's why Easter matters. He becomes an immovable anchor going as a forerunner on our behalf after the order of Melchizedek. I won't even try to attempt that this morning. 
I refer you back to April 24th, 2022, where we talked through Genesis 16, uh, Genesis 14. Tyler preached that message. You can go look at that on your own and find out what that is all about. My whole point as I wrap it up is this. I told you. Ah, you're like, you're kidding. I'm not kidding. We really are done. Kind of. Not only did he come and tether our heart to his while on earth, but in rising, our hearts, if you're a believer, is still tethered to his in heaven where he still guides us and leads us along the journey. That's our hope. That's our hope. But Easter, Troy, I don't know. It sounds great if he's risen. Like, that only works. Everything you just said, that wind blowing my sails only works if he's risen. How can I be assured he really is risen? I try to do this every single Easter. I want to give you eight reasons, believer, to rejoice in his resurrection. And if you're an unbeliever in this room... All I can do is ask you to contemplate the facts, and I do mean facts, of Christ's resurrection. Let me offer them to you this morning. Unbeliever and believer alike, number one, here's why I believe Christ is really risen. The Romans were experts at crucifixion. Absolute experts, completely trained in how to kill somebody. So much so that if you were a Roman soldier and you went to execute somebody and you didn't pull off the execution, what happened to you? You got it. As the soldier, you were killed. They were experts. This is why the whole spear in the side thing, because as Christ was on the cross and they rammed the spear through his side, the whole point wasn't just a torturing Many of you guys know the whole point was to go through the rib cage and to puncture what? The heart. To shut it down. Boom. That was the whole point. They were experts. And not only if, if, if for some reason you survived your heart exploding, which did not happen, they would break your legs, but they didn't break our saviors because of a prophecy that had been given. But they would break your legs so that you would suffocate. They were experts. So the fact of his death is certain. Nobody... Very few people doubt his death. So, if he really has a body out there, if you want to kill Christianity, well, goodness gracious, just produce the body. That's all you got to do. Everybody knew where his body was at. Joseph of Arimathea was a very famous person, a prominent person, was very rich. They knew that his body had been placed in this tomb. So, if you want to disprove Christianity, just produce the body. So, not only was it fact that he died... But it was absolute fact the body was gone. They knew this. There was nothing they could do about that fact. So they came up with a story. The allegation was, well, let's just say that the disciples stole the body. If you believe that the disciples stole the body, you have more faith than I have because of some facts. If you believe the disciples stole the body, you're left with a couple of fishermen who are able to overtake a trained and armed militia set to guard this tomb. I mean, you know, they come in with with fishing lures and spinnerbaits, I guess. (laughs) They're going to wear these soldiers out. Yeah, but you know, it's, it's arms. You've got fishermen who are overtaking. If that is your argument, I just think that's insanity. 
Number two, or you're left with a couple of um, men who are able to move a gigantic stone away from a tomb that weighs tons while a couple of guards take a nap. They have taken more Ambien than has ever been in the existence of the world for that to occur. Number one, they're trained with shifts to guard. And number two, somehow they rolled this giant stone away while guards slept and then stole the body. No, the commotion would have been way too much. That's just impossible. Or people go, okay, that may be the fact. So must, what must have happened is Jesus didn't really die. He was just almost beat to a pulp to where his heart just still kind of beat. And then he woke up dazed, dehydrated, confused, from where his heart could barely be, and he rolled the ton ton stone away and then escaped the militia on his own. Absolutely not. If that's your argument, that's just an argument from flat ignorance. On top of that, multiple occasions, over 500 people experienced the resurrection of Jesus personally at different places at different times. And the apostles said, listen, here's who these people are. Go talk to them. You go talk to that person, that person, that person. There's no way that they're coming up with this concocted story all over the place. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, 5 and 7 says this. Peter saw him, James saw him, then the twelve saw him, then 500 brethren. And so Paul says, listen, go ask all of them if they saw the resurrected Christ and they'll all confirm the story. If I start something right over here, a story with Landon, by the time it makes it all the way through this room and it gets to the back, back there with Bradley... That story, you know, will have changed drastically. And we ain't nowhere close to 500 people in this room. He says, you go ask these people from all over the place, different places, and they'll have the exact same story. And then on top of that, the followers were willing to die for this dead and resurrected Messiah. Why is that important? Because the Jews had no concept of a Messiah who would die. Much less a Messiah who would be resurrected, they thought the Messiah was going to be what? A soldier. They thought he was going to be a warrior who conquered. He wasn't going to die, much less be resurrected. And so why would they concoct this bizarre story that they had no concept of? It's real. It's true. And you only die for what you know to be is reality. And then the subjective. The subjective the life-changing of power of Christ in this room, if Christ has changed your life, not because you tried to figure it out, but because He just did it, if He opened your eyes to see His glory, raise your hand. You can't argue with that. The subjective reality that He changed you is glory. The internal purpose of believers in this room has changed. The inner joy has changed. The external circumstances has changed. Everything about reality has changed because of this. So here's the deal, church. The guards didn't take the body. The Sanhedrin didn't take the body. That would be just bizarro. The disciples certainly didn't take the body. The bottom line is, He is risen, and the women at the tomb were shocked. Stunned. So ladies and gentlemen, the lament of the crucifixion has been swallowed up in celebration because of the resurrection. 
That's why we Easter. That's why we Easter. God's been gracious to give us His oath, His covenant, His impossible act on the line, and His immovable anchor. So if you're an unbeliever in this room, today can be resurrection day for you. If you've never trusted in the finished work of Christ, why not today? Why not today? I mean, you're going to go die eggs. Why not let Christ change the color of your heart and soul forever? Take your dark stains and make you white as snow. If you're an unbeliever, the proof of the resurrection is fact. Confess your sin. Trust in the finished work of Christ. Believe on Him. Surrender to Him. And you can do that today, right here, right now. It's your responsibility. The Word's been proclaimed to you. Make this Easter an Easter unlike ever before. Now, if you're a believer, it gets even better. If you're a believer, hey, how about this? You're forgiven of your sin. If you're a believer, damnation is no longer your destiny. If you're a believer, your faith is well-founded and can stand up to any debate anybody ever wants to have in academia. It's not a blind faith. It's a factual faith. If you're a believer, your life has purpose in Christ. And your life matters just the way it is. Not the shined up, polished, pretty version of you. Like the the one that is right now in Christ you have purpose. Believer, your dead family who has gone on before you as believers are not dead because of the resurrection. They're alive. They're alive forevermore. And because of the resurrection, you one day will see Jesus face to face as a believer for all of eternity. Happy Easter. He is risen. He's risen indeed. Let's pray together. Well, Lord, what a timely text. Got to pray that today everybody has just a wonderful day with family, enjoys it. I see the sun peeking in through the back. God, as, as, as the rain gives way and the sun pops out and the weeds begin to grow in the yard, um, may even that remind us that your resurrection purpose of taking what is dead and making it alive extends to creation and to us until one day we will look at the steady anchor of our soul that has drawn us all the way up unto himself. And we will fall and say, wow. Jesus, you are unbelievable. You are the quote, quote, wind beneath our wings. Jesus, we love you. We don't love you like we should. Man, we love you. 
will you grow our love for you even more, especially today on Easter and then every day. 